Eagle, we got you now. It's looking good. Over. Roger, copy. Eagle, Houston, after y'all around. Angles, uh, S-band pitch, minus niner, y'all, plus one eight. Roger, you're a go to, con you're a go to continue power descent. You're a go to continue power descent. Altitude now 21,000 feet, still looking very good. Velocity down now to 1,200 feet per second. You're looking great to us, Eagle. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Monster Kid Radio is celebrating the 50th anniversary of the moon landing with a review of Missile to the Moon. So let's see how it was covered in FM as well as some other moon-related tidbits. Missile to the Moon was only briefly mentioned in an article from Famous Monsters 95 from January of 1973 in an article about giant bugs in the movies. Here's what it had to say. Missile to the Moon, Aster 1959, was about a couple of Earthmen who went to the moon and found a secret civilization on the dark side of it. Most of the moon people, there were not many, but they were beautiful, were pretty unfriendly. They soon decided to feed the humans to their hungry giant spiders. The false-looking insects were easy to outwit, and the hero saved the day for his companions. What were Monster Kids reading during the summer of this historic event? Famous Monsters 56 was on the shelves, which is the Boris Karloff tribute issue. He had passed on earlier in 1969. The next issue, from September, had the spacey sci-fi flick Green Slime on the cover with this little blurb. After the moon, horror from space, which is the only mention of the moon in the whole issue. If you want to know about non-monstrous moon movies, look for Spacemen, an eight-issue Warren magazine released in the early 60s all about space movies. It didn't last long enough to see man actually reach the moon, but I'm sure you will find articles about From the Earth to the Moon, 12 to the Moon, and Destination Moon in its pages. That's all for now. For MKR, this is Kenny, and we just took a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Listeners, I know we've been doing a lot of Monster Bash coverage, and you're going to get even more of it because I've got so much more audio to get through. In fact, as of this recording, I am just barely touching the recordings that we took on Sunday. But I wanted to get back to how we do things here on Monster Kid Radio and talk about a monster movie for once. You know, actually do a long conversation with a fan of a film of a friend of mine about, well, Missile to the Moon, and we've got Scott Morris joining me here. He is the man behind Disney Indiana. Well, one of the men. Well, I guess not men, but you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> wow, I don't know where I was going with that. Is this how we're going to do this today? Is this I, how I'm going to be? I hope not. I, I, I do want to hear more about what this monster bash thing is. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Maybe, you know, we go back and listen to the last three episodes of MKR. <laughs> Sounds like something maybe I should uh, look into about visiting. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Scott is one of the high muckety mucks of Disney Indiana. He's also my partner on the Plan 9 by 9 podcast. And we really need to come up with a promo for that, by the way. Um, and, you know, of course, frequent guest here on Monster Kid Radio, one of my dearest friends. And, uh, you know, I'm a monster kid. Scott grew up more of a space kid, a sci-fi kid. So I'm really excited to talk about a science fiction movie. I think I already mentioned the title, uh, Missile to the Moon, which was actually on the list of titles that Scott suggested when we talked about getting together to talk about a movie about the moon since here in a couple of days is the, is it the 50th anniversary of the moon landing? Yes, I have the Oreos to prove it. <laughs> well, okay then. Tell us about the Oreos, Scott. <laughs> um, 
I've I've only, I, I've only eaten a couple because uh, they're marshmallow flavor, and I'm not a big marshmallow fan. Uh, my wife really likes them, but uh, they also have moon images and the uh, NASA logo and stuff imprinted <laughs> on the cookies. So hashtag not sponsored. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still learning to balance all my diabetes stuff, so I'm staying away from all these fancy candies and all. And those Oreos looked pretty cool, but mostly because I, I just love the aesthetic of the moon landing era space program. There's just something cool about that. And I know technologically and everything, we've advanced quite a bit, but there's just something about that aesthetic, that, that artwork, the way they promoted it, the logos and all that. I just really love yeah, I, I love these old films that uh, have rockets and missiles and stuff in them, especially from the 50s and 60s. And you talk about how things today are more advanced. But what I think is really cool is SpaceX is actually circling back around and they actually have rockets that land like they do in these 50s movies. Every time I see them, just I get a big smile on my face. I think it's one of the coolest things ever. I agree. And there's just something about watching the SpaceX landings when it works. And in your brain, you know it shouldn't work. It, that is not how we've been trained to to view how spacecraft land in the real world, in reality. But then we look at the movies that we love so much, especially from this era, and we're like, yeah, of course that's how it lands. So I've got this weird kind of friction happening in my brain whenever I see that happen. And it's just so cool. It is. It is, it is amazing to see that. And I don't know. I have nothing to base this on, but I have a feeling that Elon Musk likes these movies as well. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I grew up a science fiction fan, you know, being fans of Star Wars and Star Trek and all that. But I was also a space nerd. You know, I was in the Young Astronauts Club in my junior high school. And while I never did go to space camp or anything like that, I, I really was fascinated by space and, and NASA and the Apollo program and all that. I remember I did a report for some class at some point in junior high school about the moon landing program and the Apollo program. I was just obsessed with it for a little while. And you know, for a little tiny bit, I thought, you know what, it'd be kind of cool to go into like the space sciences field. Now, obviously I'm, I didn't, but I was just always kind of obsessed with the idea of space exploration. And I thought, you know, it'd just be really just awesome to go to the moon yeah. i know we didn't find anything up there other than a bunch of rocks and all that and there are no aliens or martians or cat women or, or whatever no cheese no cheese <laughs> but still there's just a, a neat um sense of extra pioneership about the whole thing again wrapped up in that really cool aesthetic of the 50s and 60s space program I, too, have always been a big fan of NASA and this period of space exploration. Big fan of the movie The Right Stuff, that type of stuff. Oh, and, yeah. You know, I've been to actually gone to Cape Canaveral. I've been to um, Houston Space Center. Loved the time at both of those places. This stuff I can just eat up. It's amazing to see where reality kind of mirrors like we mentioned, uh, science fiction. And if you start watching some of these movies and then you get into the entertainment of later where they actually made it more realistic when you get things like Apollo 11 and stuff compared to movies like this, I love them all. 
whether it's the complete sci-fi of something like Missile to Moon with big spiders living on the moon with you know a whole race living there, or if we're going to watch the real thing where how Apollo 11 almost didn't even make it back, they're all great. Really is. Um, whenever I get together with my mother, you know, she lives in Arizona. Whenever I'm visiting down there or she's visiting up here, we, we tend to go to a movie together. It's like one of our things. And the last time I was in Arizona to see her, we went to go see First Man, mm-hmm. which, again, is about the moon landing and all that. And while I found a lot of the drama of that film to be a little flat because, eh, you know, I don't feel like they did anything really exciting with the story. I thought visually, man, that was just so cool. Ironically, now where I live, I work for Purdue University. I'm right next to Purdue. How many astronauts have come through Purdue and you know Neil Armstrong went here. They still produce astronauts out of this university. And the funny joke around campus now is all of the buildings, most of them have names. You know, people donate money to get their name on a building just like any other university. But the joke around here is there's two ways to get your name on a building. You either have to donate money or walk on the moon because there is the Neil Armstrong building here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> I think with the anniversary coming up here in a few days, we're going to see a little bit more about it in the uh, in the media about Apollo and the moon landing and all that. I do want to give a shout out to one of my favorite YouTube channels real quick. It's called Vintage Space. Are you familiar with that, Scott? No, I'm not. It's a pretty cool little YouTube channel. Uh, she did go on break for a little while, but she is back now. Uh, she is a scientist. I forget her name. God, I like the channel so much, but I forgot her name. Amy. That's it. It's Amy. Uh, anyway, she is a scientist, and she talks about the space program and kind of looks at, well, the history of everything and how things worked. And it's just really a cool YouTube channel. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to it. I'd highly recommend it. You know, just, again, to get that kind of vibe for retro space exploration i'd recommend that and there are so many movies that kind of tie into this as well and you've mentioned some of the realistic ones and i mentioned first man but before we actually landed on the moon sci-fi films were taking us there in all sorts of crazy ways (laughs) (laughs) and i love it so you want to mention some of the other movies that you suggested we do well i know that i actually went the gamut i suggested movies from this time frame all the way up through the 70s because mm-hmm. um, one of the other things that I find fascinating, I don't believe, but I find fascinating is the whole, no, we really didn't go to the moon conspiracy theory. And it was all done by Stanley Kubrick in a Hollywood soundstage. I don't believe that. I believe we actually went to the moon. I think the Mythbusters proved that because there's the reflector dish that they left up there and they were able to bounce a laser off of it. So. Yeah, I think we went up there, but there's a movie that I absolutely love that's called Capricorn One. And even though it has O.J. Simpson as one of the main characters, it is all about a fake mission to Mars and how they would have faked it. And it's just, it's fascinating to me. It's a 70s movie, so it's got that 70s vibe to sci-fi movie. It's it's something that you haven't seen. I I highly recommend that one. That was one of the ones that I know that I uh, suggested we talk about as well. Uh, Capricorn One from the 70s. There's just something cool about 70s science fiction, and I think uh, listeners know you and I did the Planet of the Apes films, and that's 70s sci-fi. I mean, it's through and through. There's just something really cool about 70s sci-fi. Uh, the film's directed by Peter Hyams, who is no stranger to science fiction. He did Outland, 2010. So, I mean, it's really got some science fiction credentials as well, uh, even though it's a more reality-based kind of story. I also recommend it 
And despite the fact he's got O.J. Simpson, you got Tilly Savalas in there. So, you know, kind of balances out. <laughs> there's other, uh, there's like Destination Moon from the 50s, which is another uh, fun movie. I, th- I believe that one was actually showed up on Mystery Science Theater 3000, mm. uh, along with Rocket Ship XM, which is a British film from 1950 that I think was also on MST3K. Can I reference the podcast that uh, we used to do that pod faded? It may or may not come back someday that uh, <laughs> we used to joke a lot about a particular Hammer film. Yes, we uh, that was another one that I was threw out there if we wanted to get back to Hammer and, and go ahead and. Uh, I'm, I can't say the name of the title of the film without feeling like I have to sing it, but I really don't feel like singing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Moon Zero Two. Okay, well, that was awful. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, there's Moon Zero Two, which mm, that's a good one. To go away from the movies just a little bit, another uh, entertainment property about the moon that I absolutely love was the television show Space 1999. Ah, there you go. I don't know if you're familiar with it or if those if you out there are familiar with it, but basically there's people living on the moon. There's a, a outpost there. And I don't remember why, but the moon breaks from Earth's orbit. And so the entire moon is like flying through space with these people on it. And it's basically their adventures and, and everything that they have to deal with trying to survive. I was a big fan of that, that show and used to watch that all the time, especially with my grandfather. There is uh, a recent, it was either an article or a YouTube video somewhere that I stumbled across. I didn't really get into it too much, but I did mark it to come back to later. That puts forth the idea that Space 1999 is the perfect bridge between Star Trek, the original series, and Star Wars. Just to kind of see where science fiction was going and and see this little pit stop along the way. So that was kind of an interesting idea. Because it it did kind of take place in that period. I can almost see that. I I would need to... to Look back a little bit more, but I can see that that being uh, true. And, you know, all of our kaiju fans are probably yelling, destroy all monsters, destroy all monsters, (laughs) because, you know, they did go to the moon there as well. I've been trying real hard, though, Scott, to get you to mention the title of a particular movie that I shot down. (laughs) I I guess I'm not remembering which movie you're talking about. You're going to make me say nude on the moon. (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) It's one that I actually own. (laughs) <laughs> I will admit that I have a VHS copy of it hosted Disney by podcaster. Yes. Hosted by <laughs> Joe Bob Briggs, but it's basically in the area of those, what they called nudie cuties. And it's about these people that go to the moon and they find people living on the moon that enjoy naked beach volleyball and just weird things like that. It was all filmed at a nudist colony, I believe in Texas. I'm not not sure of that, but yeah, it's, as I explained to Derek, it's a lot of people that are naked that you don't particularly want to see naked. So so it's Florida (laughs) where it was shot, Um, a place called Coral Castle in Homestead, Florida, co-directed by Doris Wishman, who did a lot of these types of movies. Uh, This is from the 60s, so it really is within the Monster Kid Radio realm i suppose uh there are a handful of these nudie cuties that have some genre elements i'm trying to remember the name of the one with the monsters in it his house on bear mountain i believe is what it's called well nude on the moon other than saying that they're on the moon really doesn't have much it's mostly very long sequences of people playing volleyball and with no commentary just some music and they tell you at the beginning that they're on the moon and they see this and 
it's obviously not on the moon because you can see uh, grass and trees and everything else. But wow, I'm reading the plot synopsis on Wikipedia right now. And while I don't want to be one of those podcasts that just reads what we find on the internet out loud, after landing on the moon, the pair discover a civilization of topless extraterrestrials. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Enamored, the Moon Queen allows the men to take photos of the nudists during their everyday activities. And, and yeah, and there's a, an extended volleyball sequence. So, oh, I bet, I bet. <laughs> well, listeners, let us know if you'd like Monster Kid Radio to maybe do a very special episode where we talk about some of the monstrous or genre nudie cuties. <laughs> House on Bear Mountain has a little bit more monster genre material, where the Wolfman, Dracula, and Frankenstein actually show up and, well go to a girl's school where girls are sunbathing in the nude, but still, um, it's monsters. Anyway, monster uh, kid radio after dark. (laughs) uh. (laughs) Hey, maybe one of those movies can be one that we give the minute by movie. Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Um, bring us back, bring us back from nude on the moon. Um, This is the countdown to scream a second suspense. Blast off! Rocket to the most astounding science fiction adventure of the age as man reaches the moon and discovers a world of terror hiding in the vast void of outer space. These are the first four invaders of outer space. Three men and a beautiful girl trapped by a faceless terror that slowly envelops them holds them captive here on the edge of doom. See giant rock people who guard the sun. Look out! See a dwindling race of love-starved maidens who have the power to control man's every desire. A manless society which must leave this dying sphere or perish. See the creeping, crawling Black Death, which threatens extinction of the Earth. See the science fiction thrill of the year, a sensational look into the future that is as close as tomorrow's headlines. Missile to the Moon is actually kind of sort of a remake. Yes, it is. Catwoman of the Moon. Both movies I really like. I think both movies use the same spider, don't they? Well, I don't know about... It's been a long time since I've seen Catwoman on the Moon, but I do know the spider that they use in Missile to the Moon does have a history of another podcast that has been featured... I mean, excuse me, another movie that's been featured here on MKR, and that's Tarantula. One of my favorites is John Agar. (laughs) So it's got a little John Agar shine, right? Yes, Sure. <laughs> uh, it also has, I can make a Disney reference, because the sci-fi dine-in shows clips from this film of the rock monsters. Awesome. <laughs> I really like the rock monsters in this. I really do. I'm not sure exactly what destroys them. I, 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 never, I always have a hard time understanding what, they, what they're given to, to throw at them, and they just basically disintegrate. It's kind of like grenade-type things. Yeah, right, yeah, but... Okay. <laughs> I remember sure. the, fir- the the first time I watched this movie, 
and we'll get to it, but there's a character that finds a whole bunch of diamonds on the moon and the rock monsters surround him. And, and, and I remember thinking, I wonder if those diamonds are the rock monsters babies. And that's why they're so upset about us. Oh my. Oh no. Oh, wow. That's, um, that's dark, man. Yeah. That's what I thought that where I thought they were going. They don't, but that's where I thought they were going. Well, Okay, um, <laughs> so uh, I want to talk briefly about Catwoman to the Moon, uh, just because this is kind of sort of a remake of it. Okay, uh, that movie came out in 1953. Uh, I do prefer the remake more, I think. Although there are some interesting things that happen in Catwoman of the Moon that I like a little bit more, specifically the role of the female lead in that, whereas she seems to be a little bit more involved when she's being possessed so maybe or 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 influenced so maybe i don't hmm. maybe she's not a strong woman character if she's being subverted in, in doing things against her will but i do like it when she's more assertive <laughs> in this film whereas in missile to the moon she is not a good representation <laughs> of a woman with agency well well like i said i uh, did i've not seen catwoman on the moon Okay. But does the female lead do her own screams? <laughs> that I don't know, but I, I and, and I wanted to mention that too. So Yeah, we can uh, we can reference this. another movie that's been featured here right? on Monster Kid Radio and one that was uh co-hosted by my wife Tracy. Mm-hmm. The screams are actually coming from Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's just a mishmash of stuff. Uh before we get done with Catwoman on the Moon, I just want to say Despite what I just said about the woman having a little bit more to do and having a little bit more agency, one of the very first things the female lead, played by Marie Windsor, does when they get to wherever they're going or when they wake up from being knocked unconscious, from getting hurtling through space, is she takes out a compact and checks her hair. Because that's what you do, I guess, in a 1950s science fiction movie. All the other men are like checking their equipment and everything else. Nope, she goes over to the desk, opens the drawer, pulls out a mirror, and checks her hair. I'm just glad they weren't, like, making coffee and that kind of stuff. And, and, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we've seen that way too many times. Yep. Oh, wow. Anyway, uh, Missile to the Moon came out in 1958, uh, five years later. Not entirely sure why they decided to do a remake. I, I don't know much about the production of the film itself. Do you have any information at all? I, I didn't really spend a lot of time looking. From what I understand, that was kind of a, the director, Richard A. Chuna. He, mm-hmm. he was into remaking movies, so it was his idea, from what I understand. Okay. The director's got some pretty cool titles to his name. Uh, Frankenstein's mm-hmm. Daughter, I yep. really enjoy, which was actually released as part of a double feature with this film originally. That would have been a lot of fun. Oh, man, <laughs> right? And our friend David Schechter over at Monstrous Movie Music has released a CD soundtrack of both of these films together on disc. So you can at least get the music as one experience on CD. Oh, very cool. I, I do like the music in this. Okay, I know I said I wasn't going to talk about Catwomen anymore, but the film Catwomen uh, has music by Elmer Bernstein. Wow. Which is really cool. I love it when he turns up in some of these classic monster movies or, or not so classic like Robot Monster. I just love his music when it pops up. I like the music in this too, in Missile to the Moon. Don't get me wrong. I just, you know, talking about music, I got to mention it. 
<laughs> Otherwise, people might think they're not listening to Monster Kid or <laughs> uh, The music was by a guy by the name of Nicholas Karras. I mean, I, I recommend it, and I recommend that CD quite a bit. Okay, anyway, um, so yeah, the guy used to do remakes, I guess, huh? That's what I've read. I, I don't know that for a fact, but that's would explain why that this was uh, was there. But I, I don't know for sure. Okay. The cast and crew, we talked about Richard Kuna. I mentioned the composer. Don't know a heck of a lot about the cast either. I feel like I'm coming to this movie with not a lot of information, although a handful of them do seem pretty recognizable. They're not off the top of my head. I wondered if it was more the characters seemed recognizable than the actors, because a lot of these movies have these type of caricatures of people from the 50s. Hmm. And also, especially the scenes in the rocket itself, obviously the people that made Amazon Women on the Moon saw this film. <laughs> because oh, I'm sure. It fe- that feeling that you see when you watch you know, that, that fake movie in, in the movie just reminded me of these sets and the lovers and everything, including the one of the two people that's the uh, the escapees, the blonde. He looked like a character from Amazon Women on the Moon. I'm sorry. I can't think about that movie without. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, to pull back the curtain a little bit. The first monster bash that Derek and I went to together. Oh, my gosh. It was actually with our wives. So it was all four of us. And we were sharing a hotel room. <laughs> and I don't know the circumstances of why it ended up this way, but I was the only one in the room. Everybody else, I think I was resting or something, and I hooked my iPad up, and I started watching Amazon Women on the Moon on the television. And for those of you that have seen the movie, there is an extended scene where, let's see, how shall I put this? It's a men's magazine playmate-type character who's, they, they start off showing her in the photo shoot, but then they show her doing regular everyday things and she's still naked. And that's when Derek walked in the room <laughs> wondering what in the heck I was watching. I was really concerned that I just walked in on a private moment with Scott <laughs> for, for just a split second. And like, wow. <laughs> it's like, no, no, this is a comedy. This is Amazon women on the moon. <laughs> oh man. So I, I cannot, think about that movie without <laughs> thinking about that. But yeah, I get a big vibe of that movie off of this one in the rocket scenes inside the rocket. Oh yeah. Well, this movie's man rife with opportunity to parody and riff. There's just so much in here that is, especially now. And I guess in the eighties as well, when Amazon and the moon was done to look back on and I'm not a big fan of saying ha 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 look at these old movies they're so funny and cheesy and bad that's not what I do but I could see this movie having a lot of opportunities for people to do that there's a lot of it here especially with the women well, one of the things about Amazon Women on the Moon yeah they do make fun of this genre of movie and saying it's bad but it's more of the fact that it's an old movie and it keeps breaking down and they have to show other things to fill the time on the television at late oh yeah night. yeah no, that wasn't a dig on Amazon. No, I mean, and I get it. I mean, I, and I know when people do these things or like riff tracks or whatever, I, I get where they're coming from. That's just not my particular vibe. And, and I totally understand. Um, the thing is, though, is that the movie they're showing in Amazon Women in the Moon, and I forget the name of the title they use. I'd want to watch that movie. 
<laughs> well, it changes the title and the year it came out about every time that they say, now back to... <laughs> right. So, it, I can understand where you why you can't think of what the actual title is. And it's got a monkey. Yes. <laughs> Missile to the Moon is almost perfect. It just didn't have a monkey. It did not have a monkey. Had a big tarantula in its place. It had a big tarantula. And while we were watching this, uh, we, I think, started watching it around the same time. Uh, it's available online in a few places. And I remember I sent you a message telling you how much I love this movie. This movie is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's actually, if, you ha- if you're an Amazon Prime uh, member, you can watch this. The colorized version is out there. But... but. <laughs> I was watching it off of YouTube in black and white as nature intended. There you go. (laughs) There you go. You know, just for fun, because I had seen the movie before and it's been a long time, I did watch the color version of it. Um, You know, it was by Legend Films and, you know, they colorized Plan 9 and that's the outfit that Ray Harryhausen worked with when he was helping colorize some things. So, you know, it's not too garish. You know, they kind of knew what they were doing. Yeah, their, their and, stuff is good. Yeah, I mean, I kind of enjoyed it in color. I, I mean, I prefer black and white because that was the original intent. But, you know, I enjoyed it okay. Uh, what color do you think the girls were? Uh, beautiful, <laughs> if that's a color. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, so uh, I'm colorblind. That's why I'm asking. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do like one of the opening uh, credit cards where most of the moon women oh, are listed. Uh, They're all like Miss. Texas, Miss whatever, Miss whatever. <laughs> and they throw in a couple of countries as well, like Miss Venezuela or something. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, the, the women are played by these international beauties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, cat women does the same thing. Yep. They do the same thing, except they don't name them as like winners of some sort of Miss Universe or whatever contest. Of all the people in the film, I feel like Tommy Cook who played Gary the Escaped Convict, mm-hmm. has the look of a guy who should be in a ton more B-movies. He just has this kind of bargain basement rate James Dean thing going. Mm-hmm. And he's still making movies Is to he? this day. Looking at his IMDb, something called Enforcer the Asset is filming right now, and he's listed as the boss in that. Wow. He was featured in lots of television shows. He was in Chips in the 80s, Jabberjaw. So, Looks like he did a lot of voice work, and I could see that. Yeah. I could see that. Jabberjaw, Fred Flintstone and Friends of the 70s. Uh, I'm assuming uh, The Funky Phantom is an animated series as well. Uh, probably is. And he was in the Banana Splits Adventure Hour. Is that the one where they kill everyone? I doubt he's <laughs> going to be in that version. <laughs> Uh, he was in The Thing with Two Heads, had a small role there. Uh, he does just have this look and this vibe of somebody who should be doing a lot more of these types of movies for us. He's somebody that I'm surprised that we haven't run across before here on the show. I think he's good in this movie. I, I enjoy mm-hmm. him. Yeah, quite a bit. Quite a bit. Uh, let's see. Who else is in the film that I wanted to talk about quickly? Um, the Leto. <laughs> I liked her. <laughs> Uh, and her name is KT Stevens. She also has the look of somebody who should be in more of these movies for us. <laughs> I really kind of appreciated her acting. I, I think there is some real acting on display here when it comes to her and her interactions with the male lead. I agree. I, I 
thought there was there were some people that actually had some some acting chops in this film. It wasn't just throwing a bunch of people together. Although the other convict was pretty one note, and I think we kind of predicted what kind of character he was going to be from the very beginning. Yeah, it was good that he does, doesn't make it to the end of the film because he's really a slimy jerk at the beginning when he first oh, meets yeah. uh, some of the other people in the film. Yeah, when uh, he meets June Saxton, played by Kathy Downs, um, who has appeared in a few other movies, like She Creature and things like that, Phantom from 10,000 Leagues. Anyway, uh, when he meets her, he's aggressive. And I feel like if this movie was remade today, they would take that interaction to a very uncomfortable level before somebody else walks in on him. I think it got to an uncomfortable level in this film. Oh, sure, sure. I'm just saying it would go even worse. And uh, I'm glad it went as far as it did and no further. I, I can actually see it going one of two ways, going the way that you're talking about, or if we wanted to show a strong woman, her fighting back. Ooh, I'd like that instead. I, that, that I would like. That's what I want. That's <laughs> what I want. <laughs> Much better. But Kathy Downs... I mean, she doesn't like pull out a mirror and check her hair as soon as they get to the moon, but I'm I still, I wasn't as enamored with her in this. I did. I, I did like when they meet some of the moon women and how she acts to them that the jealousy inside her is really coming out. And I thought she played that really well. Yeah. I guess I just felt like that. I wanted more from her as a character. Yeah. Um, I didn't want her to just to be, Oh, don't mess with my man, which is, I'm sure was fun on some levels, you know, having the woman kind of take care of her mate the way men typically do in a lot of these films. I guess I just wanted more from her. They do talk about, well, is she a scientist when she goes up? I can't remember now. Because in Catwoman on the Moon, she's supposed to be. I thought she was, was, I don't know if they go much beyond saying she's the fiance of, um... I'm blanking on the other guys. The the guys. Uh, Steve. Name. Steve. Right? Yes. That's right. Because Tracy kept going. Ignore food. Follow Steve. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Now I have to play the promo for for Danny Johnson saves the world. Excellent. <laughs> but uh, I think they just introduce her as the fiance, and because she was really happy that the government was going to take over there at the beginning because it was going to free his time up to actually get married. Yeah. So I don't think she was actually participating scientist. Yeah, so I would have liked a little bit more there, but I see what you're saying, too. Uh, we talked about these two escaped convicts. This is an element that is not in the original film. The original film just picks up right when they get into space. There's no, we got to get the rocket out of here because the government's going to take over the program. The guy who started the program is really unhappy about it, and he's been trying to get back to these uh moon women anyway none of this stuff spoiler is, alert is, yeah spoiler <laughs> no, none of this is in the original film so i do appreciate the backstory that we get here with that well it makes sense that he needed a crew and he didn't want to involve anybody else and he figures no one's going to miss these two escapees mm-hmm. really really like that the dirk green is the name of the character there played by michael whalen and i was really disappointed when spoiler he dies like, man, I, I want to know what he had going on. I want to see what's going to happen with him. Why does he want to hook up with this Leto character? But I guess we needed something to kind of move the plot forward. True. <laughs> so Dirk Green was not killed by something falling off the shelf. He was killed by the plot. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I wanted to know a little bit more about that. But, you know, it's enough to move the story forward and we get to the moon and we, we've already talked about it. There's spiders and there are these giant rock creatures. The very first time I saw this movie, when the first rock creature comes out of the rocks, I was super impressed. Like, wow, that's cool. And then every rock creature after that is like, oh, yeah, I see the rock creature now. Yeah. But the first time it's like, Wow. I love the rock creatures. That's always been one of the highlights of this film to me. I, I like the how they move. I like how they are hidden in the rocks, even though, yeah, you can, if you know what you're looking for, you can see them. But I just, everything about them is just so cool. And the fact, I, I want to know how oxygen kills them. Yeah. <laughs> and how does oxygen only stay in the cave? How does it not, you know, it? it's not, I don't, Science. Science, yes. <laughs> well, this was before we got to the moon, so maybe we didn't know. Well, in Catwoman, um, uh-huh. we were talking about, you know, the character you said it picks up in space. Was one of the characters in that film a, I don't know what you would call a moon man, a moon person? Not quite. Uh, what happens in that is the woman, after she... <laughs> checks her hair they all the crew all gets a moment to get on the radio to communicate to earth let's just say something because they've got press in the room down on earth or whatever and it was like hi everybody or you know the first step's a doozy but she gets on and says alpha i'm coming and nobody really knows what she's talking about they kind of give her a look like huh and what they kind of put forward is that alpha well the cat woman on the moon is so strong with her telepathy that she's able to reach out, speak to the woman, and even control her. So there's none of this returning Moon Man storyline that we got in Missile to the Moon or anything like that. I do kind of like the story in Missile to Moon that Dirk is sent to Earth basically to spy, to set, uh, you know, do some reconnaissance for a potential invasion because the moon is becoming uninhabitable. So they're looking for some place to take over. So I, I do like that twist to the story and how, yeah, he will be killed by a falling box of equipment <laughs> conveniently. And then he, he's given, he gives away the medallion to Steve and then Steve wears the medallion and he gets, you know, the, the moon women who haven't seen Dirk you know, must be for millennia because they immediately think Steve mm-hmm. is Dirk. Yeah, and none of that. None of this medallion, none of that is mentioned in Catwoman. So that's all new. Do I, I kind of like that addition oh, to the story. And I also really like when they first get into the cave on the moon to escape from the rock monsters and the rock monsters don't follow them. When they find the torch that's burning and they immediately realize, well, if this torch is burning, we don't need to wear our helmets anymore. Very scientific there, guys. <laughs> Very scientific. Yes. <laughs> But it made sense probably from a filmmaking point of view because they were doing voiceover with some echo for when they had the helmet on. And I'm sure that wasn't cheap. And being able to record them live was probably a yeah. lot better. Well, you know, I kind of like that, though, too. Again, is that's kind of that, that weird kind of pseudo-pioneer kind of approach to, to just kind of stumbling yep. their way through the science to get to where they need to be on the moon. I, I just really kind of like that. Even though the one convict's kind of a one note, I do appreciate that he introduced some conflict, kind of. Although he's got one of the worst lines in the film. Don't think, honey, just be beautiful. Just be oh. beautiful, yes. I I almost texted you that line. Oh. 
It's I almost bad. started this recording by saying that to you, but then I thought, you know, <laughs> it's pretty rough. <laughs> but, you know, I, uh, I can make excuses for it. It's the 50s. He's a slime ball. We're supposed to not like him. I, I get it. He's a greedy slime ball. He discovers that there's a stash of just diamonds laying around all over the moon. No big deal. They don't mean anything to the moon women. Yeah, there's one moon woman that is showing some affection to him and he, he doesn't really return it because he sees that she's wearing diamonds on a gauntlet. Well, he's thing starting to, wrist. then he sees and the he, diamonds and he realizes what he loves more than he, women. Yeah. And he immediately. Yeah. And he's like, well, where did you get this? Oh, they're just lying around They're at the end of the cave. There's a whole bunch of them. And he immediately at that point, he's like, I want to go there. Let's get a bag. Yeah, let's go. count women. It's gold. Uh, they, they find our, one of the men who is a little less slimy. He's also a scientist type, but he's also interested in making money. Like a few times he talks about, um, you know, I'm going to collect on a lot of bets when I get home, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, he is talking to one of the women and finds a bracelet on her arm that's made out of gold. And he makes a comment and she does the same thing. What? Well, why is that special? There's lots of it over here in the cave. Yeah. He's the one that I mentioned earlier that I, when the rock creatures fight oh, yeah. him, um, I, I thought that the diamonds were going to end up being the children, like eggs or something, of the rock people. And now I'm just thinking, I would like now to one of the other characters maybe just pick up one of them and take it back to Earth. And then the like the last scene you see is it hatching into a rock monster and setting up a sequel with rock <gasps> monsters on Earth. Oh, <laughs> oh, Scott, <laughs> I think this movie's in the public domain, isn't it? I think so. Oh, okay. We've just created the sequel. It's called Missile from the Moon. Yes. And <laughs> I love it. It's great. Oh, man. That's right. And then the only people who know what's up are Steve, June, and Lon, the convict. Yep. <laughs> I love it. But, of course, they don't believe Lon because he's a convict. They throw him back. and Man, we could turn this into a thing. Really, really cool. Good. Oh, I love this. <laughs> his fate is a little different than his character's analog in uh, Catwoman on the Moon. Catwoman on the Moon, he just gets stabbed in the cave by one of the women. That's it. Here he gets pushed out in the sunlight. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty gruesome. I wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I didn't expect him to make it back. And because I was watching the colorized version, when Dirk gets killed, there is some blood. But I didn't expect the... Uh, I'm in the sun. It's too hot. Ouch, ouch. And then burn. He's done. He's pulling an Uncle Owen. I mean, it was pretty, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, because they go back to him for a quick second. All you see is the skeleton. Yeah, they, they do make a point that you know, when the sun comes up, it's just too hot. You've got to stay in the shade. <laughs> stay in the shade on the moon. You'll be fine. Yes, it's not the heat. It's the humidity. <laughs> oh, boy. This is one of those movies and you and I have talked about this a lot. And, and I think Brenda and Tracy have been involved in these conversations too. This is one of those movies where you wonder when they get back, when everything's kind of back to normal, how do these characters move on? Like they're going to land. The government's going to be like, why did you take the rocket? We were going to take over. Oh, right. The scientist guy who did it, he's dead now. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. And why do you have a convict with you? What, you well, know, why, and where's the other convict? Yeah, where'd the other guy go? <laughs> well, he's up on the moon. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Um, oh, and by the way, the the scientist that you were dealing with, he wasn't from here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess. I mean, we did kind of answer our question earlier about what happens after this movie. It's uh, you know the hatching diamonds. Exactly. But, <laughs> This is one of the movies, it just kind of ends. And Catwoman does the same thing. It just kind of ends. I would have liked a little bit more of a Daniel Ma, a little bit more of a, a resolution or epilogue, you know? Meh. Either way, I think it's still an enjoyable ride. Oh, yeah. This this is a fun movie. It's it's not to be taken too seriously. It's just no. just, just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I like the uh, the architecture and the production design of the women's city up on the moon. Uh, the, the big headpiece I liked when it was on the first character. Uh, the big headpiece the Lido wears to kind of indicate that she's the leader. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, I wonder if that's where the word came from. Leader, Lido. Huh. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, Tracy was watching the movie with me, but not paying complete attention. But she looked up at that scene and saw the Lido, and she's kind of reaching her hand up to hold on to the um, the columns at the step and different things. And she's, she's like, is she having to do that because that headdress is so heavy that she can't look down? <laughs> I was going to say, it turns out that the character is blind. <laughs> you know, that's not a bad way to kind of play that off, though. I no. wonder if that was intentional. You know, they knew it was a heavy piece, so, I mean, I'm sure they wrote it into the script before somebody showed up with this headpiece and said, you have to wear that. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, nice, nice little way to kind of adjust and work around. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like a lot of, again, it goes back to that aesthetic of retro science fiction, especially from the 50s, that I just love. Just, I love the shape of the rockets. I love the sounds they make. I love these analog switches and dials they have to work inside to make it work. I know today it's all computerized and everything else, but man, there's just something cool about reaching over and having to have a guy flip the levers in sequence to yes. make it all work. You know? I, I love that when they were taking off and, and Dirk is doing the countdown and he, he tells, is it Lon pulling Lon, the switch? Lon's yeah. a good one, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's telling Lon, okay, for each number, they're numbered from 10 to 1. When I say the number, you pull them. So he's there pulling the big switches. Mm-hmm. I liked that takeoff, uh, that scene. I, I like that bit too. And how Lon just immediately falls into step. Mm -hmm. Like he, like you kind of get the impression that maybe he was a pilot or an air force guy before he got mixed up with whatever he did. You know, he just really kind of takes to it pretty easily. Like, Oh, okay. He does. He's not told to repeat the numbers back or to, you know, to say yes, sir or whatever, but he kind of gives that vibe to me. Mm-hmm. And in volunteers to help doing other things. I just, I have the feeling that, yeah, he might have done something wrong, but maybe it was peer pressure or something like that that led him. And he just wanted to do his time and then got talked into doing this escape because at one point he was like, I was six months away and I could have just walked out. I'd, my time would have been done, but no, I had to listen to you. Yeah, no, I really liked him. And, uh, you know, if we ever do write our fan fiction sequel, we'll, we'll explore his background. Yes. <laughs> We just have to figure out how they get the diamonds, because for all we know, Gary was the only one with the diamonds. Right, right. And, huh. and, and maybe, maybe he had made it back to the ship and had stowed some aboard the ship, and he was that was his second trip back with with more bags of diamonds. There you go. Okay, all right, <laughs> that'll work. I mean, we never do see what happens. So true. I highly recommend this film. I do too. I do too. It's it's easy to find. Oh yeah. Yeah, if it's in the public domain, and I, I think it is, Amazon Prime has it colorized. It's on YouTube. And 
Scott, I don't know why we didn't mention this earlier. You kind of have a sort of a relation to somebody who's put this out on Blu-ray. Okay. Snappy Video put this out on Blu-ray. Oh, my uh, wife's cousin. Yeah. Yes, I totally forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, Scott's wife's cousin's roommate twice from... No. (laughs) What does that make us? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I run Snappy Video, and Snappy Video has put out a few movies out on Blu-ray over the years. They primarily do animation, like classic animation stuff, but every once in a while, they'll put out a Blu-ray. And they've also put out a lot of shorts and and industrial films, including... Mm -hmm. The classic uh, duck and cover. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the good stuff. <laughs> the good stuff. But yeah, they also put out a copy of, or a version of Missile to the Moon, which is what I have. I actually forgot that I owned it while I was watching it on Amazon. I was like, wait a minute. I, oh yeah. So yeah, I do have the Blu-ray. It's pretty bare bones. It's black and white. There's really nothing special to it other than I got it on Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah. I, I didn't have a copy of it, so I... I I knew it was on Amazon. I think I told you that before, but then I was having trouble finding it. So I uh, went back to YouTube and did a search and found it there in black and white. So I was happy. And it was a very good quality on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. I did end up watching like the last 10, 15 minutes of it on YouTube just so I can say I watched it in black and white again this time. Probably should have just pulled out the Blu-ray. But, you know, (laughs) it still looks good. Uh, The Blu-ray is currently out of print. Sampy Video does very small runs. However, used copies of it are running for like $16 on Amazon right now. Still pretty easy to get your hands on. You get to see a cool spider. You get to see some really cool rock monsters. You get some fun music. You get some decent performances. You got some really cool moon city architecture. I got to ask you one question about the architecture, though. There's there's a scene where there's they're getting ready to celebrate a wedding. Did you get a Star Trek vibe off of that scene? I got such a strong Star Trek (laughs) vibe, especially not just the architecture, but the costumes. Yes. So the Lido is trying to, is is, is it the Lido that does this? She's not the one dancing. No, man. I wasn't even (laughs) going to go there. Um, No, it's Alpha. Yeah. Alpha has taken over at this point. And she's she's wanting to marry Steve, who she's brainwashed. Mm-hmm. The costume they put Steve in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I was curious to see how they would have colorized that. Because like I said, I watched it in black and white. It's a big flowing robe. I mean, it sort of looks like the master. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's not quite like that. Uh, <laughs> no, and the, the shape of it, not how it looks. Yeah, I know, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so again, I'm colorblind, so I might be a little off on the colors, but I believe it's primarily green, light green, and the polka dots are sparkly gold. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Because it looks like it would be something that might be, dare I say, a little garish. Oh, yes. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, that whole bit feels like. Original series Star Trek yep. in a good way. I and mean, oh you know, yeah, I was I was digging on the vibe and I was loving the dancing. It was just it's so much fun. It was reminding me of Star Trek. Gosh, you know, you say that now, and I feel like a big chunk of this feels like Star Trek. Oh yeah, and the the level of special effects is is a Star Trek level. And I'm not saying that in a bad way at all. No, not at all. We love Star Trek. Here. Mm-hmm. We love original series. And one of these days, I'm going to do something specific Star Trek wise on MKR. I totally. I get it, man. 
I love it. But it, but it has this feel that these sets were constructed for something else. <laughs> <laughs> so they came in, threw some gold up, yep. took some blue-green painted women and said, now you're in an alien civilization, go. Well, technically, yeah. it was an alien civilization well, because yeah. you're on the moon. But yeah, right. when the and, and the outside sets look like... I mean, they weren't at Vasquez. Is it Vasquez Rock? Oh, they were. They were. They shot some of it there. Okay. It was actually shot not, there. Not much. Not much. But. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely had that feeling as well. Huh. Well, now I'm thinking of Galaxy Quest because there was rock monsters in Galaxy Quest. But yeah, yes, but those rock monsters are very different. They didn't look oh, as gummy no. as these do. <laughs> these look like original Star Trek monsters that they would have fought. God, now we're going to watch some original Star Trek, man. <laughs> Not like you need a reason to want to watch that. It's, that's great. That's that's true. It's it's on permanent repeat play around here most of the time. This movie, man. I mean, listen. So Scott and I have talked almost as long as the movie is. Um, <laughs> and we're not bored of it yet. I think that kind of speaks to how much fun the movie was. Does it have strong women characters? Uh, it mm. could use a little work there. Yep. Yeah, the special effects. But it's good so monsters. The monsters are great, and I love seeing the giant spider being used in that way. Uh, it's just neat. And it's been riffed a few times, right? It's been done by um, Rift Tracks, but not by Mystery Science Theater 3000 proper. Okay. With the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, what better way to celebrate what those brave men and women did than by watching Missile to the Moon? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I was not alive when that happened. I'm sure some listeners were alive when that I happened. I was alive. I wasn't going to go there because <laughs> I didn't want to make an old joke. But I was alive. Yeah. I was about six months old, but technically I was alive. I don't remember. So you have a lot of memories, strong <laughs> oh, yeah. memories. Of that. I was no. there filling my pants, watching it on TV, eating cereal. <laughs> <laughs> eating cereal at six months old. Huh? Of course. I was advanced. <laughs> Not so advanced you weren't filling your pants. Anyway. True. <laughs> well, I was doing it in a very advanced way. Anyway. <laughs> what is happening? Why does this happen? Every time we record lately, this happens. I don't understand. So, um, highly recommend thumbs up from Monster Kid Radio for just a fun time. Uh, as long as you go into it knowing it's not going to be too serious. And I think it's hard to take a lot of these 50s movies oh, seriously yeah. when they go to other planets. Because we just didn't have the knowledge. It was still pure fantasy at that point oh yeah de definitely definitely I mean, maybe it's kind of good uh in a way that we were kind of unencumbered with what was real when it came to the moon you know the ignorance kind of gave us some fun science fiction and gave us an idea for a sequel <laughs> yes <laughs> yes tranquility base here the eagle has landed roger twang tranquility we copy you on the ground you got a bunch of guys about to turn blue we're breathing again thanks a lot 